Episode 141 is here, everybody, with my guy, Brandon Guzman. We go back a ways and uh, appreciate him coming on to share his story, entrepreneurship, and the costs that come with the sacrifices that we make. We always hear about all the glamour and the glitz of, uh, of being an entrepreneur, the, you know, everyone's favorite word these days. But we don't hear about the sacrifice and the toll that it may take on our relationships, our interpersonal relationships, our home life our social life, etc. So uh, really appreciate him coming on. We, we touched on a lot of different topics, um, but that was really the main focus of this whole thing and, and uh, growing a business and all the hard work that it takes and the mentality that it takes. So appreciate you, BG. Thanks for coming on. Check it out, folks. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast. We are at 141 episodes, believe it or not. Please subscribe, share the podcast, send it to your friends, send it to your family. And uh, give us the five-star review if you would. That would be tremendously helpful. And uh, I think that's all I've got. So with that said, please sit back, relax, and welcome the one and only Brandon Guzman. The Optimal Life. We're going. Here he is, folks. Sweet. Brandon Guzman is here. What's up, bro? <laughs> Happy to be here, man. Happy to be here. Bring that a little bit closer to you. Just, got it. I know. There you go. That. Um, hey, first off, cheers. Cheers, cheers man. Welcome. Absolutely. We, we, Thank you. we were just saying we work about two seconds from each other. We've seen each other one, what twice in ten <laughs> twice years. Twice in ten years. Yeah. <laughs> Once maybe at Panera, you know. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. What a weird year. It's I heard uh, you like if you even go to Panera, they make you stand. Everything is different. Everything, man. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing That's is normal. Stuff, you know, <laughs> no, nothing has been normal at all. And uh, it's been uh, for 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 me at least m- my experience on it is just it's just been a, a year of like. You spend a lot of time in your alone in your thoughts more than ever, you know, because every every other time you have a lot, of, you're always going. This year is a year of like where there's times where you're just sitting down and you're thinking and you're just like, man, this is dangerous for me to be alone in my mind sometimes, you know. Um, yeah, it is. It is. It's just, and everyone's felt the same thing. Yeah. yeah. It, it, so with coronavirus, when that first started, were you able to work from home? So, in end of March. Um, End of March, what happened was is we were labeled an essential business when those initial lockdowns happened in. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. whole time you're thinking like, okay, this is a 60-day sprint. You know, you're thinking like, at some time in June, July, that things would kind of get back to somewhat some sort of semblance of normalcy, right? So you come in and we didn't we didn't shut down for a day. You know, we just went extremely hard uh, during that time. Uh, you know, rewind a little bit. What happened with our business is that. Uh, come March, we have we have a company that has 200 employees, right? Uh, in in March, uh, we just based off of the uncertainty, we reduced staff force. We let go of like 40 people. Wow. Hardest thing I've ever had to do uh, in my career. We've always been just grow, grow, grow. With the uncertainty, we let go of a lot of people um, on the the on what the news was coming about how bad this was going to actually get. So we tried to get in front of it. Uh, what ended up happening from that is that by April, our business, um, we sell contractor supplies, we sell building materials to people who are doing multifamily. Um, and what happened is they put a moratorium on, on anybody getting evicted from our apartment. So a lot of our customers, a lot of our owner operators are, as people, tenants move out, they renovate their properties sure. and we sell them all of the materials inside of there. So because they put a moratorium there, the world stopped for us. So coming in April, we went from having a pipeline that was massive to just very little there. 
So um, what we did was funny. I was watching, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, go the governor DeWine, uh, and he's taking about all these materials that were just in, that just nobody had them, right? So it was masks, gloves, sanitizers, disinfectants. You couldn't get any of that stuff. Um, so we sourced a ton of products from all over the world. Um, so I had put three people on some sourcing duties. My wife actually gave me the idea to say, you guys should be selling PPE. And I'm like, what the hell is PPE? What is this? Um, so having done some research about it, you know, within a week we assembled, uh, you know, about 15 products that you couldn't get anywhere. Everything from three ply masks, KN95s, N95s, Lysol, Clorox, um, every type of sanitizer you can imagine. And we put them online. We did uh, a, a lot of marketing campaigns that helped us drive organic traffic, even our customer base, as well as just new traffic that we never had before. And the business just exploded. Holy I'm talking shit. Like we went from getting 100 orders a day to 3,000 orders a day in literally, in, in literally 48 hours. No kidding. So we went from reducing staff force to where I had every sales guy in the building packing orders. Uh, so we went from you know zero to sixty, and it was just a. It, and once that happened, it was twenty four seven. How were you guys able to get those materials? Um, well, we, you know, again, the three plies. We have vendors in China. Uh, we have vendors in Vietnam. Prior to, uh, you know, a lot of them didn't get. They reached out to us and saying, "Hey, we have three plies. Uh, we can get them for you." So we bought a lot of product in advance. Uh, somewhat of a risky move, um, but it paid off big dividends. You know, we air we aired a lot of stuff in before the main rush of that. Um, and then we got connected with a couple of people, um, you know, Orthodox Jewish guys find everything, you know, so I have uh, owners that are partners that are Orthodox Jewish. <laughs> there's a guy that could find anything. If there's an opportunity, so they were able to get Lysol. That meant the Amish, man. Yeah, man. It's always like, rely you know, on those people. It's like any sure. new any new market, you find Anybody them, you know. that's got a beard that's longer than the bu first button on their shirt, <laughs> they got some shit. <laughs> they can do it. <laughs> that's it incredible, man. Yeah, yeah. So you guys were just booming because everyone booming. was, because the demand yeah. was a, through the roof and supply was uh, yeah, yeah, I think minuscule. We did, we did close to $12 million in sales in, in, in four months. Comparatively, what is that? Like? Well, you know, normally we do about, you know, seven to eight million a, a month. And, uh, you know, over the course of those three months, it got us through. I mean, it would have been, it would have been half of that. You know, we would have been down 50 points to, to the number that we normally were tracking towards. So wow, it saved jobs, it saved our, it, it really created a d new DNA within the business to where, we're motivational. Our core values are we're relentless, um, and that kind of that kind of kept through. You know, what I mean, you had people that were sales guys back there in the warehouse. You had operations working in the front office answering phones. It just took us right back to startup mentality, which is you, know, you get back to it. And you start to think about when your company gets big. You miss the days of when you were just roll up your sleeves, you wear sweatpants to work, and just grind. You know. Uh, and those days kind of came through. So to answer your question, long story short, you know, we didn't take a damn day off, you know? So while everybody was working remote, we were there. Um, I had to be there sure. um, throughout that process. It was just like starting a new business. So we were, um, there were seven days a week. It wasn't five wow. days a week. It wasn't 40 hours. It was, it was so all the, day, the COVID has actually, uh, most businesses have suffered. Yeah. Your business boomed because of what you guys, did you say it was your wife that kind of gave yeah, you that it idea? Was, it was, it was, yeah. You wow. know, I have to give her some credit on that. You yeah, know? that's huge. You know? so, so talk about a little bit about the structure of your business. What's your role? Yep. Because I want to get into your background. I want to get sure. I want to get into your past, Sweet. your mentality, the yeah. whole thing. So, Sweet. what's your role at the company? So, I'm the CEO of MFS Supply. Um, we started about uh, 
12 to 13, I think it was 13 years ago, I started off as the first sales rep actually. Uh, in 2007, we were selling to contractors who were fixing foreclosures. So if a home got foreclosed upon in 2007, the bank would take possession and uh, the bank is obviously not property managers. So what they do is they hire these con they hire these companies out there to change the locks, board the windows, winterize the properties, and then make sure the house doesn't look like an eyesore on a street. So if on your street, three foreclosures happen, you know, nobody's nobody's mowing the grass, right? you know? Right. So um, they kind of upkeep those houses. So we started the niche with that was just catering to those type of accounts. In 2007, the housing market, in 2008, the housing market took a real dump um, and we were at the forefront of that. So again, another opportunity coming into play where um, and the market, the niche that we had in 2007 was maybe 10,000 contractors in the country were doing foreclosure work. By 2008, it was over 150,000 contractors, and there were, we were one of two companies that sold the products that we sell. So, so 15 times the volume within a short period of time. Within a short period of time like that. You know what I mean? We went from doing you know $5,000 a day to just quadrupling that number sure. in 2008 and 2009. Wow. And then that gave us the opportunity. I was, at the time, I was the first sales rep in the company, um, and then I hired a team of like eight to nine sales guys. I hired our product, product development team, and then started expanding into marketing. Um, and How then, many employees do you have at this point, like 08? Uh, in, in 08, we had maybe 10. Wow. You know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, so you start building out the team. Build out the team, building out our product mix, because at the time we only had 14 products that were sold in that space. Well, once we started getting 1,000 contractors a month ordering from us, then it was like, okay, what are we not selling that we could be selling? And then we started expanding our product offerings to appliances, cabinets, plumbing, lighting, electrical, all things that now can be sold into multiple verticals, not just the foreclosure market. Um, what's the most important thing is, before we keep yeah. going, mm -hmm. what's the most important characteristics of a, of a successful salesperson? I think every salesperson goes through like peaks and when the times are good, they're good, right? And then you have to deal with the lulls of where you lose an account or you're not, you're not hitting on them. It's resilience, man. It's like the steady, the guys who, not the best sales reps, but the guys who do the same things every single day. I'm talking like, hey, my, I have a, a, my 10 calls in the morning, I have this email that I'm answering, but you're always doing, you're just constant repetition. It's the guys who mentally just shut off for a day or say, you know what, I'm having a good month, I take it back. What happens is two months later, that week fucked them over for this, you know what I mean? So it, it's, a, it's a trend. So it's the guys who are just relentlessly just um, consistent. Consistent. Consistent hits, you know? I mean, and, and, and they might not even have to be the best at talking, the best relationship. Exactly right. It's just a numbers game in many instances. If I talk to 20 people every day before 10 o'clock, and then that feeds my day of the people that respond to me from the day prior, so you're always quoting, you're always producing, and you're always on the phone. So the more people you talk to, and you realize this, like if you talk to 10 people a day, and you're that person that just, you ask questions, you ask good questions, so you could just get, you learn, you know what I mean? So the more people you're talking to, the more exciting your job is, because you're learning about the market, you're learning about your customers, you're learning about what products that they normally like, where they buy their stuff. You learn so much that sure. why not be on the phone? You know? Right. Why not? And or it makes the day go by quick. Yeah. You right. know? And, I mean, you're you're and you're building that rapport. Yeah, absolutely. You're building that rapport with people. You know? So 09, your business starts picking up. You're responsible for building out the sales team. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then how does that evolve to... So in, in about 2010 was when we really started taking that, that, that contractor market and saying, where else could we be selling this? And where else could we be selling the existing product that we were selling? So we started selling to property managers and we started selling appliances and cabinets into uh, redevelopment. So apartment complexes or college housing or hospitalities that 
they were building properties. We would now put all the interior finishes into there, everything from cabinets, appliances, plumbing, lighting. That was that took a market that was hyper niche from our REO, from contractors that were fixing foreclosures, all the way to now you're in a multi-billion dollar space. So we became the biggest guys in the room in a smaller niche to a minnow in a massive fucking massive, ocean. You know massive. what I mean? So, but, but how do you? So how do you, as your company, mm -hmm. you've got a a, a strong arm, mm -hmm. a stronghold in this one segment, yep. this little niche yep. area, and then you go into this big. Yep. You know, you're the small fish now in a big pond. Yep. How do you start? I, I mean, how does a company like you start getting in, start yeah. building a reputation? What yep. what is it? I, I think that there's a a lot of people out there that love the underdog. Like, I think that as a sales rep, if you can tell your story and have it compelling to be able to say, hey, we are just getting into this space. Be humble enough to say, I'm not the best at what we do, but we will be. We're gonna try our ass off, but me, your sales rep, will work their ass off for you. There's a lot of people that want to do business with people like that versus the biggest guy in the room that doesn't call them back on Tuesday or they can't call in their orders. So that personal, the ability to just be vulnerable enough to say, Look, we may not be the best solution for you for everything, but the opportunity, you know that I will give everything I got to make sure that you are satisfied as a customer. That was doing that and compounding that over a mass amount of years, you know, really? and winning a customer by customer. And then you start to become the point where now you're not dealing with marketing dollars, you're getting referrals. Property manager that used to order from another company, now he's telling three or four of his other property managers. and that just turned into and spiraled into what we feel like we have a really good DNA and brand within the multifamily space. So you have different divisions at MFS. Yeah, yeah. Some are focused on single family, single family yeah. units. Yeah, and then multifamily. And those okay. are the kind of the two major segments that we're in. Wow, man, yeah. That's, yeah. that's insane. Because yeah. listen, for people that don't know, we go back, yeah, we go sure. back. And I yeah. knew you were a fucking hard worker yeah. when you came into Brush High School as a freshman. Yeah, We go back, <laughs> you and my brother were playing mm -hmm. basketball. Uh, talk a little bit about coming in, you know, talk a little bit sure. about your family background sure. to back up a little bit about where you came from sure. and, and where, you know, because that'll paint the picture for where yeah. we get to. So, uh, taking it way back pre prior to high school, I, you know, I was born in Puerto Rico. Uh, my mom uh, moved to Cleveland, Ohio, out of all places in the country, uh, moved to Cleveland, Ohio. Um, her family was here. Um, you know, her, she was born and raised here. So I was two years old. My mom came back to Cleveland with nothing. We came with absolutely nothing. We rented an apartment in South Euclid. And uh, did she almost like jump off a bridge when she saw snow for the first time? Uh, she wasn't <laughs> feeling it. She hadn't seen it in 20 years. You know what yeah, I mean? So she had, she had grown up here, so she knew. Oh, she did. She almost missed the snow apparently, but um, you know, I know that living in Puerto Rico for 15 years probably was uh, it's a hard thing to swing. You know, no doubt. Um, at the time in Puerto Rico, one of the biggest things was that there was it wasn't as evolved as it is today, where the language barrier there, nobody spoke English. So my mom was felt so isolated, she had to get out of there. You know, and my dad probably wasn't. You know, probably was. Uh, you know, working 100 hours a week, so he, you know, he probably didn't. Uh, that sounds you know. familiar. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Believe me, it, <laughs> vicious fucking cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, so uh, you know, my my mom moved here, so it was just her and I up until the point I was 10 years old. So from very very young age, independence, right? It was like I felt like I had to be the man of the house early on. My mom was working; she went to hair school when she got there, so she was going to school as well as working. And um, I had I was always the last kid picked up at school, which is which is like I, I pick up my kid now. I want to make sure that he could be the second last kid picked up, but he will not be the last kid picked up because I was that dude every single standing day standing by yourself. Standing by teacher. yourself, the teacher would be like, uh, you know, is your mom coming? You know, 
I'd be like, no, nah, she'll be here. She told me she was going to be your, here. Your friends are already home. Everybody's home. Games, Everybody's home, whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that, like, I, I rewind that in my head every time that, like, I say I'm going to be there at 5 o'clock. I'm like, man, I do not want my kid to be the last kid picked up. That will not happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, um, you know, fast forward, you know, when I was, my mom, when I, I think when I was 10 years old, my, my mom ended up getting remarried when I was 13, I believe, if I, if I remember it right. Um, so up until then, it was a lot of independence, a lot of me, you know, I got my first job when I was 10 years old and I, I just have always been, felt like uh, I've had to have just a lot of independence, you know, in growing up. So, mm -hmm. and, and then when I went to, uh, you know, I started my, my school, uh, I went to St. Greg's in third grade. Um, I went to Roland Elementary School. Then I went to St. Greg's. My mom actually, we met with a guy named Monsignor Novicki who gave us a scholarship to go to St. Greg's. Um, so I got an opportunity to go and meet a whole new group of people, which really still friends. Most of the friends that I have today stem from there, St. Greg. The foundational third, yeah, years. Yeah, the foundational years, yeah, you know. That's, that's why I, I like, I, selfishly, I'm like, I, I, I hope my son Brady goes to, you know, a parochial school like growing up because it does instill a good amount of character and there's still those values of wearing the uniform and tucking in your shirt and saying please and thank you, sir, ma'am. You know, those things that you just don't get sometimes in school. Especially you now. You just want, you know, you yeah. just want for your kids. You, no know, you want it in a different it. way. Absolutely. So. so you guys, so that's, you know, your school mm -hmm. upbringing. Yep. And uh, but you were thrown into the mix early. You were you were yeah. you grew up fast. Grew up real fast, man. You were like real the fast. like you said. You were like the father figure in the home. Yep, yep, for a long time. So you end up going off to high school. You're mm -hmm. a hard worker. You're working through high school, yeah. right? So initially, first in my my freshman year, I actually went to Benedictine. Okay. Uh, I started off at Benedictine, then I transferred to Brush my sophomore and junior year. And that oh, is that there. what it was? So okay. I actually p played. Um, yeah. So. Um, Ryan and I played uh, basketball together through, I believe, junior high, seventh and eighth grade. We played one year together. Did he go to? No, you didn't play. Not, not, not Memorial. No, he wasn't. We played there. at So we played sophomore year and junior year together. That's at Rush. what it was. That was that was the first yeah. time we ended up playing hoops together. Yeah. Um, so I remember when you came in. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy because I we, I must have been a senior. You mm -hmm. were you were a, a sophomore. You were yeah. a senior. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. You were a big dog, man. Oh you know, yeah. You know, big dog, cool <laughs> car. You know. What did I have? The uh, CRV tonight. You had a CRV, and then and then uh, Ryan got the got the Xterra, the Habes on the Habes. Oh, license that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> he he thought high school was so easy coming in, yeah. and I always remind him. I go, dude, your brother was a fucking senior when you came into the freshman. Yeah. It of course, a... it's supposed to be easy. <laughs> Yeah, nobody was fucking with him. Yeah, you know? like, like, you know, you got, you had all the pull oh, in the world, God. man. You were yeah. friends with all my buddies. Everyone was taking care of you, and you know, Bardos, Ryan yeah. Bart was looking out for you yeah. as a freshman. See, Come I, on, I didn't have that. Anytime that I got a girl that was like a little bit older than me, uh, it just created an enemy of every senior that was there. They thought I was a douchebag by. You know, taking <laughs> That's right. Girl, you That's know? right. Messed up, man. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Steal your girl. <laughs> <laughs> it was early. It was early. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, so so all right. So you you were exposed. You were grew up fast. You grew up early. You grew up fast. But there's something to be said about that because for wouldn't sure. you rather somebody grow up fast and have to work for it and earn it and yeah. ma maybe lose a little bit of that innocence from childhood, maybe? But compared to these kids that grow up with the silver spoon, cozy and soft as fuck. Yeah, you know, there's I, a big difference. Huge difference in the fact that it's very hard for me today. And I have a five-year-old that I spoil like none other. I know. Yeah, you know, it's know. so hard to like to take that back and be like, oh well, you know. Now I feel like I have to overgift just to make up for the shit that I didn't have. Uh, but at the same time, you, you look back and you see that you know 
the one thing that I always had was grit and that will get you a lot of places. You know, it'll get you at least to the point where you get an opportunity to take a job. And when you get that opportunity, you will do whatever it takes to be successful there. And some people you're not, I don't know if you're born with it, but I think it's just built through your upbringing to know how gritty you need to be out in this fucking world to really get it done, you know? And, and don't you think we all have that potential? We all have that Cause potential. Because you might have had a potential sure. to be soft and, uh, you know, sure. if you were coddled your whole For life. For sure. If I was coddled, if I went a different direction and I had, uh, you know, two parents in my household and we never had to, to want for anything, yeah, I think my that grit factor would be down. I probably wouldn't have got a job at 11. I probably wouldn't have worked at Heinen's bag and things walking there every day. I, my mom probably would have been like, no, you're not walking to Heinen's, I'll take you there. Like, the small things that develop a little bit of like grit inside of you mm. in the winter when you had to walk to make, you know, whatever money that I wanted to make, like that was that was something that you just, you can't teach sometimes. Yeah. It just, it's, it's just so a those experiences. Absolutely. I, I totally you know? agree. And maybe what it does is it translates to your adult life where sure. maybe you don't want to make 20 calls before 10 a.m. Yeah, for sure. Maybe you only want to make five. Yeah. Maybe you want to make two. Yeah. Because that's all you ever had to <laughs> yeah, do anyway. Exactly right. Why, you know? why change anything now? Yeah. You were driving an Audi at 16. You're driving a BMW at 21. Why, yeah. why, do, I have to, why yeah. do I have to work hard? I believe it goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the way that you raise your kids, it, it will... Will define that how they are. They're gonna make the twenty calls, or are they gonna be? Are they gonna be entitled? You know, no doubt about and it's it. It's such a hard thing because you can do it. You think you do it perfect. You never know. You know until you have the finished product out there in the world. You know. So now here you are, all these years later. Mm -hmm. You started off building out this team 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. And here you are to two hundred employees, mm -hmm. or do you even have more now because of the two hundred employees? Yeah, it's two hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's all the general stuff and it sounds fantastic and it's awesome and you're doing well and you guys business is growing you guys are thriving you've built this business from from ground up yeah i mean there was what five ten people For sure it was two there was yeah. two people when yeah. you started yeah it was you and, and your yeah. partner mm -hmm. and you've built this business into 200 plus employees um in, in a fairly short period of time yeah you know what i mean so okay so with that and that that mentality comes sacrifice. Big time, big time. So in the, we know that the sales are there and all these mm -hmm. great things, but let's talk a little bit about what it takes, That what, what are the things that we give up, Yeah, you know? Because everyone thinks it's so glamorous being an entrepreneur, For being sure. a businessman. Oh, if I can do this, I want to go on a fancy vacation, whatever. They don't know what goes yeah. on behind the scenes. So let's talk a little bit about sure. like, like personal life. Yeah. What does it do? What does yeah. it do? To, so, what? you know, I think that uh, it does a couple things. One is I've learned about myself recently that my drive isn't money. My drive isn't cars. My drive isn't the house. Those are those are products of, of working really hard and getting what you getting what you you've dreamed of. Uh, but they're not what really drive you. To me, what I found out is fear is what is what has got me to a point where I always operate in fear. I wake up in the morning, and I'm scared. I'm scared to lose this. I'm scared to lose this. So you're always operating out of a place of fear, which ultimately causes the point where your priorities sometimes are like, you think you're doing the right thing. I think I'm. if I can provide for my family, if I can go get this for them, that's the win, right? I'm winning for my family, but am I really there for my family? And that's the hardest thing I've had to come to terms with. And luckily, I'm 36 years old, so it's not it's not gone. You know what I mean? It's like I'm cognizantly aware as of late that um, the sacrifices that I've made have isolated myself from friendships. You know, friendships that I've had for a long time. A lot of times, it's 
it's if you go a different path in your career than some of your friends, it's hard to go back and and catch up with them in the way that you used to because you're just not you're not thinking the same things. Your 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 circle gets so much smaller. So you feel more isolated. The conversations you can have, you're not real with everybody. If I go and tell somebody I went to brush high school with uh, that uh, we used to be good friends and they're doing this and I'm doing this, they're gonna look at my problems as if as if like, fuck you, what do you mean? Your problem, you have a great situation. Yes, I do, but I, we all have problems. We all are dealing with things internally. Um, now, who do you bring those to? You know, who? What's your what's your outlet? You know, mm-hmm. um, and and I don't really have that many outlets. You know, so when you uh, sacrifices, like I want to bring that outlet. Am I going to bring it home to my wife and tell her my issues? Like, no, I want her to feel safe, secure. You know, and that's and that's a battle that now you internalize that stuff. So you internalize it, and then uh, you know, sometimes you kind of just you deal with it on your own. But I feel like the sacrifice probably is, is the time with my family. You know, I the times where I shut my fucking phone off and I'm just present and I'm just there, there's no place in the world I'd rather be. Why do I not do it more? Like, mm. What's the answer? Well, because I'm operating in fucking fear all day long, all day long. I'm scared that, holy shit, this beautiful family that I have, this beautiful house that I have, it could go away in a fucking second. And, and that drives me into a fear that sometimes prohibits me from enjoying, just fucking enjoy the roses, man. You got a great family, you got a beautiful wife, you got everything you want. Uh, and, and really cognizantly being aware of that and then action and saying, you know what? I don't care about my fucking phone. I'm gonna focus on my family. That's the part that I feel like I have a lot of work to do on myself to get to that point to where I'm constantly being that and putting husband, father, CEO, and that should be the, the fucking cadence, right? A, B, C. It shouldn't be CEO, oh yeah, I'm a dad and I'm a husband. It needs to be, it needs to be completely altered in order for it to really work, otherwise, you're not on the same page with your wife. Otherwise, my kids, uh, you know, I feel like I'm distant with them when I should be. We should be connected at the hip, and that's that's stuff that that's the sacrifices that you make sometimes when you're operating in fear and trying to kind of trying to grow this business versus say, okay, uh, what are my who, what 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 do I want to be remembered as? What do I want to be able to be? Um, and I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great husband. Um, and sometimes the decisions that you make on a day-to-day basis don't reflect that, and that's. And that that's that's the hard part that I live with a lot of guilt just from just sure, from that. You know what that. I mean? So And that's the type of stuff that nobody ever hears about. So yeah. you're having a moment, you're having dinner with your wife, mm-hmm. your kids, phones away, yeah, and the mo- and you know, beautiful, it's going mm-hmm. great, music's playing, whatever. And the thought creeps in fear mm-hmm. again. There it is. Yeah. Fear. Fear, 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 fear. It keeps coming in, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, now five minutes go in, you mm-hmm. don't even know. Yeah. What was I thinking about? You don't even know what the conversation was potentially for the last five, ten minutes. Yeah. If you really try to break it yeah. down. You've been somewhere else. Mm-hmm. When you catch yourself doing that, because mm-hmm. you become more conscious. You, you yeah. told me before that you've become really working on yourself, self-improvement yeah. mm-hmm. and being present. When you catch yourself, what do you, what do you do to work out of that, Yeah, if anything? Yeah. You know, it, it's a battle. You know, because it's sometimes depending on what comes to your head and, and what and what level of priority that is. It's uh, it's you have to just I, me internally. I have to check myself and just say, I'm not going to think about it. You know, the Rome is not burning. I'm just going to be here and I'll deal with the with the Im, the implications later of, of that other thing. Um, but again, it's a, it's every second something's coming through your head. A thing you didn't do, you should have done. Wait a second, did I call this person back? Wait a second, this was supposed to be done today. Did they get it done? And you're thinking, you're constantly going through that. How do you shut that off? And sometimes it's just a hard thing to shut off, you know, and really focus in on, on the things that are really important in life. And that's that's a 
that's a battle that I think is going to be something that I'm working on, you know, day and night. You know, has this gone back since day one with you, or do you think it's intensified over the years? It's intensified because in the previous years I didn't have anything. So it's like, you know, in in high school uh, and in college, even you know, what am I, what am I really passionate about? I don't know yet. You know, I'm going to school. I got a bunch of buddies. We're having a good time. We're going out. We're getting girls. We're doing all that stuff. So that was the priority. So that was, you know, school was there. But, you know, if I got a 4.0 versus a 3.2, was anybody asking? My mom, I, I, I think in my entire life, I don't think I've ever shown anybody any of my report cards. So anything that I've done is like right. nobody nobody asked. Nobody was like, hey, you have to get 4.0s. You have to get this. So the expectation was so low that, you know, to me it was like, well, if I get a 3.2, that's pretty damn good. And I can still have a good time with my friends. So I never prioritized school in the way that I do work because there wasn't a measuring stick. Like grades were great, but if nobody was looking at them, it, was I really was I really putting that as a priority? Um, sure, so, sure. You know, once but, you start making money, it's measurable. You know, once you start making things, you're like, I can go from here to here, and I can see it. So I can you can start to visualize, and you start to just like get hyper focused on that stuff. You know. So do you? But it's it's also intensified over the last let's say five ten years. Yeah, for sure. Because as the business has grown, yeah, more responsibility. For sure. More sales, more money, yeah. more this, yeah. more that, more access. Yeah. But with more, all more comes mm -hmm. like again the challenges, the for responsibilities, sure. more employees. You're worried about families. Yeah. Your employees. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's not always just like did I call back the customer right? Is it sure. sometimes like did I talk to John at the office about this? For sure. Did he give me this? Did this guy follow up on this? Did yeah. they right? Did they listen to yeah. what the direction? Like all these things, and then right? and then as the pressure comes of the business performing well, and then thinking about the fact that just because you have two hundred employees, you know how many lives that impacts. So like the way I look at it, and sometimes probably looking at too micro. It's not my ego. It's just like two hundred employees that have two hundred significant others that have kids that are on top of that. So maybe it's a thousand people that are in our realm that every decisions that we make that impacts those people. And I take it so like it's such a like a. Um, I love it, but I also it's such a it's such a burden of pressure that's on your shoulders every day, and life is hard as it is. You know what I mean? So the day to days of just making sure your family's good is, mm -hmm. is enough. But Absolutely. then when you start to really think through, a saying a decision I make about this individual is going to impact his kids, his family, his wife. Uh, you know, so you try you try to operate what's best for the business and not think about the person. But it's very hard to do that. You know, um, every a lot of businesses have a mission statement. Yeah. Do you guys, a lot of them have a mission statement, but a, a lot of them do not have a purpose statement. Yeah, you know. Do you guys have a purpose? So, and I know I'm putting yeah. you on the spot. Yeah, I mean, we have a purpose statement that's we deliver products that build your business. So we are just, we don't care what products we sell you. We just want to build your business. So the mission is to help other companies grow. While whatever products we sell, whatever service we provide, it's like we want to help companies grow. How do we do that? Through great service, great pricing, great products, uh, consultative selling, um, you know, value add after the sale. So that's what we try to rally the business around when it comes to that. And then the core values are we're relentless, we're solution driven, um, and, and those are the two things that we try to uh, just get everybody in line with. You know what I mean? With, with having those core values. And then, uh, and, but doesn't purpose also potentially trickle down to what you said? Kind of being a. Uh, uh, a good citizen taking For care sure. of his families you know you're being involved sure. in the community it's more than just x's and o's it's more yeah. than just getting the sale correct For sure absolutely it absolutely is you're uh, looking at all, all these families that rely on you yeah being mm -hmm. an advocate in the community yeah being a leader so i guess so going back to the the fear 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 mm -hmm. fear, fear 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 you've got this company you've grown mm -hmm. you've got 200 employees 
you've got a lot of families. Everyone seems to be doing well for the most mm -hmm. part. You've weathered storms. Yep. You're taking care of your family, your own family. Mm -hmm. You guys are living a good life. You've got what you've worked for, right? Mm -hmm. So then you say to yourself, okay, I've got all this. Yeah. And I'm still not enjoying I haven't found the balance yet yeah. I guess is the best yeah, exactly way to put right. it right you're yeah. seeking a, a balance in your life yeah the work life balance and and like you said it's not necessarily that you always have to be dad and husband mm -hmm. first but at the same time I think what you're trying to say is you don't want to be dad and always be dad and husband last yes exactly right and that's yeah. that's the thing man yeah that's the thing that's so hard yeah it's a it's a battle man it's 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 not a battle because you when you when you Look at my wife, and you look at my kids. They're the most—they're beautiful. I mean, it's just a beautiful family that we've been able to build. Um, but the fear of saying this could be gone in a day—I uh, don't ever want to lose this—is sometimes overpowers your will to do what you know in your head is right to do. You know what I mean? Um, and you just operate out of a, out of a constant state of just like just don't want to go back. You know? So, what are some of the things? Because I hope that there's people listening to this that relate, and I know yeah. there will be. And that are also have businesses or also working their ass off. Maybe they're doctors, maybe they're attorneys, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, you started working on yourself more this year. So have you yeah. put anything into action? When you say working on yourself, what, what are some of the things you've been doing? Like, I think it's it's so new because I've been operating out of a vacuum, right? So for the past, you know, once COVID hit, and the story that I told earlier, you know, it wasn't, I'd be lying if I said that. Um, the personal aspects of my life were improved up until November, you know what I mean? Because it was just a constant state of, of battle, you know? And through that, good yeah. things happen. We weathered the storm, right? Yeah. I got my business through COVID. Um, what we hope is that it's coming at the end of COVID. Uh, but we got them through the hardest part of what we thought was going to be uh, detrimental to the business. Um, what I didn't do early enough was is go back and check in, you know what I mean? I have to constantly be able to communicate with my wife, my, my kids, and make sure that they're good, you know what I mean? And, and do that often, and do it every day, and, and make sure they know I love them, and know that it's all that's what it's all about. That is, a, that is it, it sounds easy in, in, in theory, um, but constantly every day making the conscious decision to say, I'm gonna put my family first, my family first, family first, family first. Is, uh, is something that no matter what battle comes that day, I have to be change my narrative of what decision process I would make. If I tell my wife I'm home at six o'clock, I could get a phone call at 5.58. Am I gonna answer the phone and be home at 6.30 or am I gonna be home at six? Those small things add up because if I make the decision to stay, to stay on the phone and get home at 6.30, now I've, I've made the decision to go a different direction. Now, the next time I have that same decision, am I gonna go that same route? And now it's systemic. Now it's a point where now I'm, I'm not a man of my word. My wife can't trust when I say I'm gonna be home. I'm not gonna be home. So like, that's a dangerous piece where I feel like I got to. And yeah. now I'm peeling it back and saying, that can't be me. I'm not that person. I gotta get on the other side of this. Um, either I don't get on the other side of this or I'm gonna lose what I love the most. So getting on the other side of it is the most important thing in my life. Um, and once you make that decision, I think the decisions that you make now at 5.58, I tell that person, hey, six o'clock, can I call you back first thing in the morning, put it in my note and not do it. 
uh, three months ago, I answered the phone and sure. I talked till six thirty. Get that person. That person got what he wanted, but what did I get? I come home to an ang angry wife, and, and you know, and, and a family that's been yearning to talk to me, right. and I'm cooked. Because it's that compounding effect where exactly you just right. keep doing that. That becomes your yeah. habit of routine. Comes habit of routine. Six and five fifty eight, and I'm taking the call. Yeah, exactly right. Because again, the you know? fear comes in. I don't want to lose in. this guy. I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want word of mouth to spread. I'm falling short. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. All these things that you're dealing with. You said you don't want to lose the thing that you that you love the most mm -hmm. and you care about the most. That's a powerful thing. Yeah. So uh, if we can tap into yeah. it, whatever sure. you're comfortable with. Sure. So listen, I've been divorced. Mm -hmm. You know, I know what it's like to lose a, a wife, and it's a it's a brutal process. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean. And I'm not suggesting that that's what you're mm -hmm. saying, but you when you make that comment, you realize that hey, I have to make changes here for the betterment of everybody involved, right? Um, I have to just find that balance. So talk a little bit about, if you would, you know, the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. The sacrifice in a relationship. How delicate. Yeah. How delicate. Because you have two people that loved each other, right? Yeah. And that still love each other. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing how when you have other things that come into life, work, family, responsibilities, yeah. kids, all these different things, yeah. how... It, the romance for sure for people that don't understand that can go yeah and, and be gone one day if you're not conscious and that's True. not just for an entrepreneur like yeah. yourself that could be for anybody yeah staying conscious in the intimacy role for sure right yeah yeah it's definitely one of those things where you never look at yourself and say uh, I'm not an intimate guy you know I love sex. You know who doesn't? Right. Who doesn't love want to be want to romance the person that they that that they that they married? Um, but what happens sometimes is that I think that it's all it's to your point earlier. It's micro. It's like oh, one day I got home. I said I was gonna be home at six. I got home at seven. So obviously I'm getting home. She's on the other side of the bed, and I'm turning over and I'm going to bed because I'm cooked. So we didn't connect. Now it's day two. Day two, I get up in the morning. And I uh, and I had to be able to work early, so I got to work at seven. Didn't have a chance to check in with her in the morning. Now you're two days. Now you're 48 hours of awkwardness, tension that's there. So you know, and then as that gets compounded, all of a sudden it becomes awkward to go to the you know if we're on the opposite side of the bed for me to grab my wife and give her a kiss and say hey I love you. Like that goes away because you're you have guilt, but you're trying to get over to the side of the bed. You know, it's like it's hard to to get that connection that's, that's there. When you're always checking in and you feel like you guys are connected, that, that should, goes away. You know, you don't, yeah. it's not awkward to go and kiss your wife goodnight and say you love her, you know? Right. It's, but naturally what happens is, is that if those small decisions that you make in a day to day that is eating up inside of, of, of your significant other, um, that can, you know, that can weigh. Yeah, know? it chips you away know? like, uh, I always look at it like a puzzle piece. Yeah. Like if you, if you put a big puzzle together and you just removed, or maybe you removed one piece of a yeah. completed puzzle, or even more so, you have not not a puzzle, and you put one piece down and one one piece the next day. Yeah. Each day it doesn't look like it's much different than the day before. Yeah. But a year or two from now, when you've done gone through your mm -hmm. thousand pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. And there's nothing there left yeah. anymore. Yeah. It's freaking gone. Yeah. But it's so subtle in the day to day. For sure. In the day to day, it's hard to see. Yeah. And then you look back over a course of time, you go, "Holy shit, man!" Yeah. How did we get this? Yeah, Where did we it, get here? It hits you. It hit me like a fucking baseball bat to the face. Yeah. Uh, where you realize and you start to think back at those small things that at the, at the moment weren't big things. They were small. Uh, but then you look back and you have you just give yourself a ton of guilt. You're like, "Fuck, man! I mean, I'm not this guy." 
You know what I mean? I'm a guy that that I know can that can give my wife everything that she needs, but like a lot of times you just like you've given your resources to other people for other things that they need. Um, and then when you're home, you're cooked, man. You just don't have it in you to just like to restart that engine, you know? Um, yeah, you've exhausted, exhausted. You've exhausted yourself. You know, you've, and it happens every day. Yeah. The next day, you have a little rejuvenation. You wake yeah. up. Yeah. Let's go do it again. For sure. Come home. Yeah. And uh, I've exhausted myself again. I've exhausted, and then yeah, you know, that becomes again it compounds over For the sure. course of time. And the people that I've talked to that have figured this out, mm -hmm. um, master their calendars. I mean, they just know they are they are masters of knowing that week, that month, and then they follow it like none other. So when they say they're gonna do something at four o'clock or they would check in, they put their phone calls to there's even others on their calendar. It's there. So when you check in, if you want to FaceTime with your kids, check in on that. Puts it on your calendar. So that it's part of that day and it doesn't get to the point where something else comes in front of it. So if you prioritize it, put it on the calendar, most of the time it gets done. Um, so you know that's that's a way that people that are busy like you and myself, that's how they that's how they figure that shit out. It's just making it a priority, putting it on the calendar. When you're done at four, then you're done at four. Call it off. You control your schedule. It took me a long time to realize that, listen, I'm the fucking boss. I, I, I can control this schedule. <laughs> right, right. If I don't want to go to this meeting, you're not reporting I don't have anybody. to go. Right, you know, I don't right. have to go to this meeting. What the hell am I doing? But you're reporting to your own internal demon. Yeah, it's your internal thing of saying, I could go to that meeting. I can make that. I could probably cut it off. It'll be a 30-minute meeting. No, it ends up being an hour meeting. Why did you schedule it at 5.45 if you, had, if you told your wife to be home at 6? Those small things are just... Uh, think if you own your calendar and say, guys, I have a hard stop at 530. I'm getting the fuck out of here. And people are like, okay, that makes sure. sense. You know, it's it's uh, it's freeing when you start to just say, this is this is my line in yeah, the sand. This is it. And people agree to it. So you're like, wait a second. What the hell have I been doing for I've put every, other people's priorities above mine. So while I try to be a servant leader, I should still own my calendar and own when I want to do things to make I, I can make the most amount of value in that meeting. I know that if I go to a meeting at six o'clock right now, that I will be thinking the whole time in that meeting that I'm gonna be late for home. I'm gonna be late home. I'm not gonna be able to see my kids. Like those things come in. So I'm not even productive in the meeting. So why why be there? Why be a part of it? I can be able to make that meeting at 10 in the morning where I'm fresh. I'll be concise. I'll be spot on for that meeting. I can prepare for it. And you'll get a better brand in out of that meeting. Absolutely. You know? So now that you've tasted some success mm -hmm. and you've grown, um, if somebody came to you now and says, hey, Brandon, you get to choose what your life looks like 2021 and beyond. Yeah. Maybe you don't make as much money, Brandon. Maybe we, we lose some customers. Maybe mm -hmm. we, but, but you, is there, is there something looking in your crystal ball that you would change moving forward? I think so. I think that I've always looked at success of the company as being a measuring stick of revenue dollars. What comes with revenue is a fuckload of problems. So every time that you you go from 200 employees to 250, it's a whole new set of problems, whole new set of issues, and it becomes that much harder to make the profits that you made maybe at 50 million versus mm -hmm. 100 million, right? Um, so you have to be ready to, when you say you wanna be a $100 million company versus a $50 million company, be ready for what that takes. That takes a lot of grit and it takes a lot of extra work that potentially doesn't even equal to the bottom line. It's well, I was going to say, I mean, you know, 100 million, you could, if, if it yeah, costs you 101 yeah. million to operate, yeah. it's not it, so It doesn't glamorous. make any sense. It's just a lot of fucking work, you yeah. know? So I, I've really thought through the business and we created our priorities for 2021. It's, it's not about revenue. It's going to be more about building a profitable business that can scale over time, but doing it at a pace that makes sense. Because what happens in the past is we grew so quickly that we're always trying to 
piece together the pieces to get the right people in the seats that can support that type of business that was already there from last year versus plan for growth and, and have an, a, a really good three-year plan that gets you from point A to point B to point C strategically versus just grit, you know? Mm-hmm. And the more people that I can get around me, around my management team that can take that brunt off, the better off I can be personally, right? So the goal for me is I blame myself. I'm like, well, why didn't I have the right management team around me that can do this shit that's been there and done that? 36 years old, I don't have the answers. I've never done it before. So I feel like I have I this, I, oh, I can go into accounting and solve that problem. I'm not a fucking accountant. I, I, there's a guy out there that I could pay really well, and he could probably kill it. Sure. And I can leave at five. Right. <laughs> like, why didn't I do that? You know what I mean? So, like, those are things that I look back and say, if I had done this a year ago and built a management team that just does what they're supposed to do, and I could like, guide the vision, I could be home at four. Yes. I could actually be drinking this, uh, this Jack Daniels and think. And just take a step back and think, what do I want this business to be? And I could send an email and say, this is what I want to do. Sure. <laughs> Instead, today, 100%. I feel like I'm the idea guy, and then I want to go and do it versus just say, I have people on the ground that can do this right. for me. Once and, you have that team yeah. that, that you trust, yeah. that's where I was going to go. Say yeah. that, so mm-hmm. it's perfect. Because yeah. once you have that team that's beneath you that you trust, yeah. whether that team is two people, four people, five, one person, yeah. if you have that go-to yeah. and say, I'm going to let them operate, I'm going to be the think tank. Yeah. I'm going to be the visionary. I'm going to continue to be involved, but know that hey, it's in good hands. If I'm on vacation for the weekend, yeah. If I put my phone down, I don't have to worry anymore. They're calling. They're calling Steve. Yeah. Steve's yeah. taking care of this. I don't have to deal with this shit. Yeah. <laughs> you worked your ass off to get to the, build this company. Yeah. You know, finding that team, and I would imagine that you probably have quite a few qualified people at that company that could probably, for sure, you could carve out into this team. The priority coming into this year was to revamp that management team so we can build people around that have been there and done that, that make it not so difficult to grow. Or that when you grow, now we have a, a roadmap of how to do it in a profitable way. So really I've spent the last, you know, the, even earlier in this year, we rebuilt, uh, we hired, you know, four new directors that um, that are on the management team today that are doing great, you know? It's just a matter of how quick can they get up to speed to where that trust factor is there, right. to where they can take the pendulum and just roll with it, you sure. know, and, and, and be the people that are saying, oh, I did this, uh, what's next? That is the right approach, though, for you moving yeah, forward. for sure. That sounds like a great So for people that may be looking, that mm-hmm. want to get into sales, that want to get into, maybe with your company, your mm-hmm. company's not, not slowing down, it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like. Yeah. What are the th- traits that you look for in, uh, in your salespeople? So we look for besides uh, the grit, which we already know. The grit. Yeah, we already know. Grit. We know. The we grit. already know yeah, grit. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I've found, and this is a, uh, it's not the it's not the college degree, it's not the uh, anybody who's done inside sales. I, mean, I, I prior to MFS, I sold insurance. Insurance is a motherfucker, man. It was all commission. I was twenty two years old. Didn't know what the hell I was doing. And you had to go. Can, can I interrupt you? Can go I ahead. predict? Can I predict the answer to my question? Go ahead. Is it like ex athletes and ex military? Athletes, <laughs> ex- <laughs> ex- military, or if you sold insurance? Okay, there you go. all right. <laughs> sold insurance. Anyways, go ahead. Though. Yeah, yeah. But but that was for me when I remember uh, you know coming from that world and, and going to a startup like MFS Supply. The the sale got that much easier. It was a tangible product. I was selling a, I was selling life insurance. I was selling, uh, you know, group benefits to companies, and I was selling to individuals. That is such a hard sale, uh, you know, in a long sales cycle. That when I got into selling a tangible product, I felt like, wow, I'm adding value day one to this account. I can save them money. I can be able to develop relationships with them. So I look for people that have been in sales one or two years, and those guys you can build 
around. You know, you could build a really good, as long as they have the right DNA, they get it. I don't, I've tried a long time to hire people straight out of college. What happens is we're responsible for teaching them to show up on time. You know, hey, you should wear this. You know, you should do this. You know, I don't want to be a babysitter. I yeah. want people that, that come to work every day that have a mission. Now I can work with you because you're going to come in and you get, you've been on the other side. You've been, the grass isn't greener. You come to a company like ours, the culture's great. We, people are fucking around, but the same we're working hard all day long. It's a boiler room atmosphere in that sales channel. Is it? Uh, yeah, oh yeah. It's like uh, set up the same kind of. Uh, it's it's a, it's it's a it's it's. I mean, it's uh, high energy, high energy, fast paced. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, do you find people that really truly that have been ex athletes or or active or military? They have more of a, they fit the role well. They do. The the military is interesting comment that you say is because they're the most consistent, right? They're the ones that you give them a blueprint and they will follow it to a T and they don't deviate, right? Mm. They just execute the mission. And that's, when you have a good blueprint and you know how to get it done and people just have to go execute to it, there's nobody better to have on your fucking team because they get it, you know, they get it. When people start to come in and say, I do it this way, it's a little bit different on here, that's where you have to say, I don't, I don't, I don't put too many guardrails around that, but if it doesn't work, you can modify to the process mm-hmm. that we created, you know? Sure. Um, so some people come in with a dip, no, I'm gonna do it this way, and then we have to deviate them back onto the plan. But the guys who come from military, you're right, they just literally, they just look at the plan, they say, this is how I need to do it, train it, okay, and they go and kill it, you know? And they're the most consistent ones. Consistent. And they go day back to the grit, that's a, that's a great quality to Those have. Those are the guys that say it. You want me to make 20 calls before 10 a.m.? No problem, they're done, next. You know, and they're they're the ones that constantly ask for more. You're involved in some other things too, right? Outside oh, yeah. of MF Supply, yeah. what else? Yeah. What else you have going on? So I have a company called Solo Wellness, uh, and that's an, uh, a, a product company. It's an e-commerce brand. We sell everything from blenders to like a, a Theragun product. That's um, that Solo Blend. Yeah. Com? Yeah. It's SoloWellness.co. Yeah. Oh, Solo. Okay. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, what we did was uh, having been in uh, another wife idea, I guess, if I had to put it that way. Wow, but, I got to tell you, this wife of yours, she's, she's something no special. She's no joke, man. She's, you know, I'm the executor. Entrepreneur. You know, she, she has to, you know? <laughs> we mean, know who the secret weapon is. I know, it's scenes, so true. You know? what, what was her idea? Here. Well, we were in Mexico one time, and we were, and we, and we at the time, we were uh, we were doing some sort of diet or something like that, and we, had, we didn't have a blender with us, and it was portable. So I remember I went to, I was in China uh, probably three weeks after that vacation and found a factory that actually makes uh, uh, blenders for either Vitamix or some other company. We went there, we looked at the factory, they created a product for me that was like a handheld chargeable blender um, that you can just, you can interchange, you can charge it and take it with you to go, bring it on an airplane, bring it where you wanna go. So if you travel a lot, you'd be able to take it with you. So I started using it, uh, the prototypes, um, and then we brought it to market, uh, you know, I think it was beginning of last year. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been been great. You know, it's, it's cool to change your, your, I've always been B2B, you know, selling to other yeah. businesses. When you start to sell the B2C, it starts to show you that all the other products you could be selling. So in my head, I'm thinking to myself, oh man, we could be selling this, we could be selling these products. Uh, and then you start to learn how to, digi- how, to, how to really target customers through, you know, Google and PPC and mm-hmm. Facebook ads. That gets fun because that's like, it, 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 I guess, sadistically, I say to myself, if I had to start it over from scratch and just start, I can potentially get a product, put it on Facebook, Instagram, and build a brand around that and 
potentially may have maybe have more life balance if I ever had to do it. You know, um, but you never know. You, know, you right? never know. Yeah. You, know, you, know? you never know. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to ask you now because mm-hmm. now you you yeah. spark my curiosity on this. How in the world do you take a prototype like that? Yeah. to market. What's yeah. just a general process? What what is it? What is that? So um, a lot of times, uh, it, it, the the hard stuff is what you think would be the easiest stuff: getting the trademark, getting the ability to be able to distribute it in the U.S. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, there's products out there that are in Europe being sold today that look exactly like how you'd want to sell that product that getting it over to the US needs some modifications but has a patent infringement so like you have to go through the legalities of it first to make sure that you can do that and the product is not protected then you can bring it over import it and then go to market but having just bringing a product from uh, going to Alibaba grabbing a product and bringing it in a lot of times there's a lot of stipulations or somebody owns that brand you can't put it on Amazon you can't put it here so you have to do that deep dive. Um, so all the legalities all first? All the legalities first. You know, it, it but just, then when you say go to market, are you just putting it out on e-commerce market? or where, So where, the first do? the first website we started was a Shopify. Shopify mm-hmm. cost me 500 bucks. I bought $10,000 of inventory. And so we went to the Arnold Classic. So I had two, two mechanisms. I said, okay, I'm going to sell it face-to-face to see how that works just to get a test for the market. Went to the Arnold Classic. I sold uh, you know 3,000 in, in two days because there was a mass amount of people there. And I was like, Okay, winner. Uh, you know, really. So I took that inventory. So you're showing you're showing the product at the classic, yep. and you're mixing fruit drinks yep, or whatever exactly else. Exactly right. Really. Yeah. And letting out. them taste it. Here it is. Yeah. And they're like, "Yep, yeah, give me one of those." Yep. Does it blend with ice in there? Yeah. Put the ice it in is. there. Blended it, and then it showcased. It showed that wow, this is a this is something bigger than I thought potentially it could be. Um, and once we sold out at the Arnold Classic, then we just we brought a, a bunch of them and bought three more colors and. Now we started building out uh, uh, another other products that are complementary to it. Um, Those are the type of businesses that have a lot of scale potential, right? Yeah, they do. It's quick though. It's you have to hit it while it's hot. Like you have a thirty-nine dollar price point that you know is going to be hot for the holidays in one or two years. But if it's so hot, somebody replicate it. So you got to you got a time span uh, to take advantage of it. And if you don't, then uh, you know somebody else will come up with it and spend more marketing dollars and get it to the. And you'll but it's going that. well. It's that's going well. Yeah, that's definitely, great. Definitely good. That's you know? great. Yeah. Is that it? What What else? Is there anything else? So for, you know, for a while, um, I started wanting to be, and this is where you know time management comes into play. Where I started saying to myself, okay, maybe I start to join a couple boards to really learn about other businesses, how they're doing it, helping them scale. Because again, I think about the future as saying, well, if I can help add value to other companies and help them grow. Does it help me establish myself differently than just being an MFS supply? You know, mm-hmm. how do I do that? And um, and I found that that's pretty gratifying stuff. But you have to be. I don't want to do anything and go half-assed. Like I hate saying I'm going to do something and then and then find myself being uh, in, not have enough time to do it. So if I do something, I want to be all in. So I've been hesitant to like take out a, a ton of more initiative, knowing that I have to. I have to again. <laughs> husband, uh, you know, kids, and then CEO. So I have to be conscious of things that I want to do because I don't, I, I get guilt in myself if I say, I'm going to do something, I think I can build this business, and then I don't. Right. Uh, and you're knowing, all, knowing you're I not could, all in. You're, you're not, not all in, in. just yeah. fuck it, man. Right. You know what I mean? Don't do it. You save yourself a bunch of pain in the ass in time. That's such a good piece you know? of advice, man. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone's dibbling, dabbling in yeah, this, man. they're dabbling in this, they're dabbling in this. You, you can't be half pregnant. You can't be it's half not pregnant. Be, it's not going to work in the long run. Yeah, yeah. you might have a couple of good yeah. success stories. Yeah, you might have a couple of good months. You're never yeah. going to hold the hill. Yeah. What I what I give you credit for, Nate, is that you know you're on 141, right? Most people say they want to run a podcast and do a podcast and get through five episodes and then and then stop. 
half-assed. They probably have a full-time job. They probably have this that they're doing, and they don't commit to it. But I give you so much credit because you said you were going to do something. You did it, and you're doing it. You know what I mean? Um, Thank you. And, and that, to me, is so cool. You know what I mean? I give you so much credit for that because that is, to me, is like, okay, in my head, I said, oh, man, a podcast would be great to be able to get influencers in there, to be able to learn from them. But am I going to take the time to execute and do it right the way it needs to be done? And you've done that. So Thank I you. Credit, I appreciate man. that. It's pretty cool, I appreciate man. it. You know, I really like what you're doing here. Thank you. And, you know, you I, know? Do it for, I do it because I just love this kind of stuff. Yeah. I love learning from people like you. Yeah, I don't talk to enough people like you. Yeah. There's not many of you out there. Yeah. <laughs> There's not many sickos like you out there, man. Sickos, man. man you know? <laughs> Well, listen, man, uh, what you've done is incredible, and I appreciate you coming on to uh, share some of this insight. Yeah, it's share your Share your story, share your challenges, your success, your triumph. It's not always, it's not always glamorous. Not and always you're glamorous. Being, and you're being raw, and you're being yeah. open and vulnerable, and, and, yeah. uh, and I appreciate that. People that want to find your company, how do they go online and do it? MFSupply.com. That's easy. Yeah. MFSupply. Yep. That's not like uh, Andy Frasilla's mother supply. <laughs> not MF CEO, you know what I mean? What are some of the, real quick, what are some of the podcasts you listen to for inspiration? So, I besides really... The, besides this one. <laughs> All the others are kind of second life best. Is yeah, number that, one. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, Lewis Howes puts out some great stuff. Andy Frasilla, um, you know, um, I think it's, right now it's um, um, Andy AF. I think it's, I think it's Andy, called. Andy AF. Yeah. Um, which kind of implies Andy as fuck. Andy as fuck. Oh, okay. You know, it is, it's a pretty real podcast. There's no doubt about it. Okay. Um, and, and that's been pretty good. And then I'm, I, I am, as much as I love podcasts, I'm an audio book guy. Like Are right you? now, you know, a Green Lights with Matthew McConaughey. Mm. Awesome book. That's new, right? It's new. And, and what's great about the audio book, I read the, the actual book, but the audible is is actually him narrating it oh so, that's awesome you know, he's fucking sweet, so you you, know? you have a, a already an intimate relationship with this oh, person exactly that's right. reading to you so yeah. you know who he is you know cool. so my 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 thought process is a lot of times i'll buy a book read it but it's, i'm in the car more so i can listen to audible and i can get a book done in a week versus me just trying to labor through it and take three or four weeks because there's so many books that I want to read. You know? I've never listened to an Audible, but oh, it's I, so good. I would imagine it's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. Because I'm not a amazing. I don't love reading. Yeah, it's it's it's. And it's but I love podcasts, so I'd imagine I'd love. I do. I like the words in the book. I just yeah. don't love reading it myself. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey reading to me sounds pretty. Good. Oh, it's so good, man. Again, he's like a man crush that I have. So like again, hearing him. Uh, he has so much self-awareness that you're like, yeah. fuck, man. This guy just knows where he wants to go, and he just went and did it and uh, didn't ask any questions, didn't give a shit who was looking, and just went and did it. Yeah. So those stories like that are like, man, fuck, these guys are good, you know? Yeah, they don't become successful by accident. Yeah, exactly They know right. what the hell they're doing. Yeah. So that awareness, you know, emotional intelligence. There, there's a part of that book which is funny because you went to law school and you were an attorney. He was, he was in law school, and he ended up Oh, I never knew that. He yeah, he was in law school, uh, or he was he was on track to be a lawyer, and then he called his dad one day and said, "Dad, I'm going to go into film school." And his dad's like, "You know, well, don't half-ass it, you know." And that was the validation he needed because he felt like, you know, the expectations are to me to be a lawyer. I have these other brothers who are successful, and he was scared to follow his passion. Um, but by him getting validation from his dad, that was like, just, just if you're going to do it, I don't care what you do, just fucking go all in. Yes. And be that guy. Back to that you know, thing we just thing. talked about two minutes exactly ago. Exactly right. And don't half-ass it. Don't half-ass it, man. So whatever you're going to do, just don't half-ass it. And I then getting that, that sound advice from your, his dad was like enough to just say, fuck it. I'm doing it, you know? Dude, that's beautifully said. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Guzman, thanks, brother. Absolutely, Appreciate man. Thank it, man. you. Appreciate it.